Hello, and welcome to Unseen Being, our monthly show where we talk to artists, scientists, and each other about what the hell is happening inside our brains and bodies when we experience the world around us. We explore some of the intangible and overlooked experiences that contribute to the way we feel. What happens at the center of our experiences? When we listen to music, walk in nature, sit on our phones, make our morning coffees, or simply dance around the room. All of these tiny micro-experiences contribute to the way we feel, act, and behave. So in this podcast, we take you on a mini-journey of self-discovery, exploration, and feed your curiosity about some of the most overlooked yet fundamental elements that contribute to your well-being. Consider this an audio handbook curated by artists, psychologists, philosophers, technologists, and scientists. A critical guide to understanding the well-being of experience in the current age. We bring you the latest in scientific discoveries, but cut the academic jargon and help enhance your understanding of the way everyday experiences impact you, and potentially an understanding of some of the tiny changes you can make to improve the way you feel. We are Robin and Catherine. And together we're the founders of Kinder Studios, a creative science studio that explores the aesthetics of human experience. We look at the neuroscience of art's impact on well-being and human connection, and we believe connection to self, others, and the environment is fundamental to human experience. We glimpse into the future of the practices, experiences, and technologies shaping our world and helping us feel more. In today's first inaugural episode, we start with a rather large topic, one that impacts each and every one of us and is our very first sense we develop in the womb. Today, it's all about sound. Okay, so we've started with perhaps the biggest, most dense topic, but sound is so fundamental to the way we live our lives. How could we not start here? Whether your body naturally moves anytime you hear a beat, you wake early in the mornings to hear the sound of the birds, you have a hypersensitivity to city sirens, or perhaps, like Catherine over here, you take comfort in the voice of your favorite radio host humming in the background of your day. Sound is all around us, all the time, and has an incredible impact on our bodies and minds. And one of the most amazing things about switching off and tuning into your favorite piece of music is that you can actually forget your troubles and just be, which is like that Bob Marley song, right? Oh, you mean, um, one good thing about music is when it hits, you feel no pain. (laughs) Yes, exactly that. Thank you. Beautifully (laughs) sung. Every culture has its songs and dances. Everywhere in the world, people listen to music. If you think about it, even small children clap their hands and move to the rhythm of the beat. Music moves us in every sense of the word. So it's no surprise, really, that sound is one of the most explored artistic forms within scientific research, which means we have a pretty thorough understanding of sound's impact on the brain, emotions, and neurochemicals. For example, we know that it impacts our sleep, deeply impacts our mood, our body's natural ability to heal, our ability to bond with groups, concentrate, and even connect to the natural world. Music also has this incredibly transformative impact on our emotions, literally having the power to completely shift our states of being and tap directly into our felt sense. 
but actually we're only beginning to scratch the surface about the way sound interacts with our bodies. We're still figuring a ton of stuff out, like how those frequencies actually interact with our internal resonance, or how the sounds outside our audible range or, or background sounds that we filter out normally are still impacting us in just a way that's beyond our conscious awareness. And also how and what new sound technologies and experiences are emerging that can help us feel and behave in a certain way. So we've been using the word sound to describe much of what we spoke about so far, but a lot of people will defer right to music. So what's the delineation between those two? Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and thinking about sound, we do often just think about music. And by that, it's what we listen to. And within that, the beats, the frequencies and the lyrics. But actually, sound does extend far beyond that. It includes things like the natural sounds around us from bees and wind in trees, rain on rooftops, and then also the unnatural city sounds, like the glorious drilling that you might hear outside your bedroom window at 8am. And then also the sounds of, of us moving around in our daily life, or, or humming, or chanting, and talking. Yeah, so throughout the show, we, we talk about a lot of the science behind these things. But as Catherine said, there's so much that we still don't know and science is still uncovering. And what's really interesting about this is a lot of us are already intuitively doing all these things on our own. You know, we put on music for specific moods. You know, now those two worlds are colliding and there's functional sound artists who are using the specific properties of the music to help elicit a certain feeling or state of being within ourselves. So in our show, we always like to look at the science behind things, as well as the more creative side of things and the intuitive aspect. So in today's show, we speak with the ever-inspiring Dr. Yuande Pierce, a neuroscientist based in LA about how music actually interacts with our brain. And then our second guest is the creative and multi-instrumental composer and sound artist James Bully. Now James works with the sounds of the natural environment, and offers an inspiring approach to his creative process and reminds us of the importance of understanding us in real life with the sounds we hear all around us. Unseen Being is all about exploring the intangible, immaterial and invisible aspects that contribute to the way we feel and sound with huge impacts on our brains, bodies and connection to the world around us is a fundamental place to begin. Let's start at the beginning. What happens when we hear a sound? And what is sound even? Right. So I don't know how much you remember from physics class. Uh, yeah, I never took physics. <laughs> okay, good. Quick recap then. Sound waves are actually vibrations that travel through the air. These waves hit our eardrums and then travel into our inner ear. That vibration is then turned into electrical signals that travel straight to our brain. And it travels really fast, right? Less than 0.05 seconds to get to the brain. Now that's over five times faster than it takes for vision and what we see to register in the brain. Wow. So this is probably a good time to introduce our first guest, Dr. Yuande Pierce. Let's take a, a quick minute to meet her, shall we? My name is Dr. Yuande Pierce and I'm a neuroscientist and science communicator and I have a background in neurodegenerative diseases, mainly childhood brain diseases and um, developing therapies as a potential treatment. 
I kind of got to where I am now in terms of my interest in music and neuroscience because alongside um, being passionate about neuroscience, um, I'm also really, really into music and like grew up in London and um, in my 20s was like really into like the music the London music scene. Um, and then the two, the two things were very separate for me. And then I actually worked at, um, a, a club that's closed down now called a, a venue called Plastic People. Um, and when I was working there, I met, uh, Sam Shepard, who's floating points and found out that he was a neuroscientist and was doing his PhD at UCL and was like, hang on what? <laughs> and then it just got me thinking differently about sort of the separation I had created and, made me think more about how neuroscience actually relates to my own life, um, which at the time had so much to do with music and still does. So then I started just um, researching um, different areas myself and then got to, yeah, got to this point. Now, Yawande, like us, is enchanted by the way music impacts the brain when you look at it. The effects of the brain are extraordinary, from activation of this limbic emotional center to unlocking memories directly impacting how we feel and even think, there's actually very few things that illuminate and light up the brain in such a complex and powerful way as when someone is listening to a piece of music. So actually, when you look at brain images, you see that actually so many structures in the brain are, are stimulated when, you know, we listen to sound and music specifically. So sound can be language. But then when you look at um, patients with um, specific brain injuries, what you find is that actually it's not one area. There's not like a music center in the brain. It affects lots of different areas of the brain. And that can be quite different to language. I feel like language is um, more distinct and more connected to specific um, brain structures, whereas music involves the whole brain. So yeah, when we perceive sound, it starts with, you know, the, the cochlea and there are hairs in the cochlea, which vibrate in response to um, sound. And the hairs are responding to different frequencies. And then that kind of is mirrored in the brain. So the signals are sent to a part of the brain called the auditory cortex. And then within the auditory cortex, a lot of um, organization of music happens. So it's not so much about sound, the sound of music, but rather the organization of music first. And then it's amazing because then it like influences learning areas in the brain, it, you know, attention and emotion, and it impacts our neurons, uh, has a really important impact on neuroplasticity, which is the ability of the brain to form new connections and new neurons. Um, and that's impacted by music. And at the moment, I've been delving a little bit into sort of some of the evolutionary ideas and how, you know, why we listen to music and sound. Um, and how that's somehow enhanced our survival, because, I mean, that's the basis of um, evolution. It's got to be something that's beneficial to our survival. So trying to figure out what that benefit is. And I think it has a lot to do with, um, you know, mating as a way to, um, to you know, create connections between, between us, um, social cohesion as well, um, and communication. Okay, so what we're realising is that music is pretty fundamental, as Yuande says. It actually predates language. It's part of our evolution. It's part of being human. Now, a fact that I love is that we actually start hearing in the womb. Our auditory system starts developing when we're only at 16 weeks. 
What? So playing music in the womb isn't just a crazy idea your mother and so many other mothers have had? <laughs> no. I mean, amazingly, for once, she was right. Uh, the amniotic fluid actually amplifies the sound. I don't know if you've ever heard music underwater. Oh, what? So you mean, like, babies just get, like, a, a really good sound system in there? They get an awesome sound system. And it works both ways because they're actually emitting vibrations of sound as well. To the point where the youngest ever recording artist released their debut album, which was recorded when they were in the womb. So Elizabeth Hart, a musician, actually strapped electrodes onto her and recorded the vibrations that her baby in the womb was making, then translated it through a synthesizer, and it's just about to come out as an album. Wow. Yeah, pretty, pretty wow. <laughs> so what we're finding out is that from the minute we're born, before we're born, but we're always listening. You know, it's actually a safety mechanism we've evolved. We're constantly listening out for what and who is around us to keep us safe. And so we're feeling and sensing our way through the world before we can even verbalise it. And actually that doesn't necessarily change when we get older. How do you mean? Well, when we hear a sound, it's not just our brain, it affects, it's our whole body. And as you know, they're completely interlinked. What happens in the mind plays out of the body, and what happens to the body affects our mind. So this is basically what you and I spend most of our days talking about, right? This felt experience of our entire sensing body. So while we hear the sounds through our ears, and now we know those connect directly to our brains, we're actually having the entire experience in our sensorial organism of our bodies. Yes. And as we'll explore later, that can be anything from relaxing us or sinking our heartbeats or actually feeling genuinely more connected to other people. And I love this idea of connection. So we'll come back to it again later. But as we all know, as far as sound and music especially can connect us, we also have to acknowledge it can divide us, right? Because preference is highly subjective. I mean, for example... I hate house. I'm sorry to anyone out there who loves it, but I hate it. Though strangely, what I don't hate and actually quite like is drone metal. And I like Joni Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> Which comes to a really interesting point. So why is it that Robin and I get along like a house on fire and yet a track to me that is uplifting to Robin is like, well, an actual house on fire? Yeah. When you play drone metal in the studio, it actually feels like there's a chaotic, burning, fiery flame inside <laughs> my body. But that's the beauty of human experience. Exactly. We're all so different and unique. And our response and preference to any aesthetic experience is made from so many different components. Exactly. But that doesn't really answer why we come to like a certain piece of music over another. Now, a lot of the time, it's based on the emotional response we get from it. So now it's probably a really good time to meet James Bully, who captured this really beautifully when we spoke to him. My name is James Bully. I'm an artist and composer. Um, I work predominantly uh, in landscapes with landscape sound works, uh, exploring the relationship between different elements of the natural environment and different species within ecologies and music and sound. Um, talking about emotion in terms of music is very complex because what I find emotionally affecting um, is very, very different to someone that I'm standing next to. And a lot of that is born not just from a physiological response to 
sound waves hitting your ears um, and the cavities of your body um, or vibrating your skin, but is born out of cultural experience of what these things mean. Um, so, you know, a particular song that I hate and is just irritating to me might be the most important song to you in your life. And the reasons for that might have nothing to do with a physiological response and be purely to do with cultural experience related to the country you come from or the community you were born in or what your mother liked. Um, so emotion is a very complex thing to talk about in terms of music. All of that said, um, there's a world of what, what composers and artists do is work in that world, work in that very complex environment of thinking about how the thing you make affects the audience you expect. He captured that perfectly, didn't he? Yeah. The way we come to like what we like is so vast, but what I find most interesting is how James captures the complexity of what's happening when we experience a piece of music we like. It goes beyond the hearing and back to that emotional felt experience we just spoke of. And what's really interesting is, so we know that the brain lights up more in response to music that we like. We also know that the body changes more in response to music that we like. We sweat more, our heart rate might increase, and also the neurochemicals that are released in our brain also activate more. But what's really interesting is the intersection of these three things together directly impact our emotions, which is why when we listen to a piece of music, we can get this really deep emotional response that people speak of when they use language like being moved by something or when you get the chills. And actually scientists are really measuring people's emotional response to music directly through the hairs on your arms sticking up. Anyways, I could go on about emotions and the body and art for ages, but emotions is no small topic. It is one of the most impactful aspects of why music is so fundamental to our mental health and well-being and why it's such a reliable source of a transformational experience. And it genuinely helps us get through really tough emotional times because music can be hugely important to our well-being. And we all have a song we go to if, if we want to cheer up. You know, I put ELO's Mr Blue Skies on and it always makes me smile. say it's going to cure or solve any problems but it really can lift my mood and in the same way a certain track can reduce me to tears in a second that's not that it actually makes me sad it just seems to somehow unlock or evoke emotion and it really does so we've already spoken about music and how it activates what's called the limbic system so that's the emotion center of the brain what's really interesting about this area is that it's also associated with pleasure and reward so music can literally trigger the release here of neurochemicals that govern these feelings. So a dopamine is a key one. Now you might have heard of dopamine. It's known as the happiness chemical. It's the brain's reward drug of choice, you could say. It encourages actions that are good for reproduction and survival. Basically, when it's released in the brain, we feel good. 
Mm, we like feeling good, don't we? Yes, we do. <laughs> and so for anyone who knows their chemistry, these are the same chemicals that are released by taking many of the recreational drugs that we often associate with these music events. And while music in clubs is associated with drug culture, actually that chemical high can come very directly but from the music alone. So what you're saying is that is that we can get the same feel-good hit from music, which is the chemicals released from drugs and sex. So you can have the sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but you don't need the drugs and the sex, and the music is just as good. Exactly that. Well, it's actually a pretty interesting point to raise, because obviously in the past few years, we've seen this rise of the sober partying movement. Or even if you're not teetotal, there's a lot more people who are going out dancing, using that experience as, as some might say, a spiritual church and not needing to take the drugs, not needing to take the alcohol. So it's interesting to think that when we have these really transformative experiences, when we go out dancing, which at this moment seems a bit like a distant memory, it's actually quite comforting for perhaps some of those people to know that they are getting actually that same release, that same hit of that feel-good chemical and other ones exist in the same family from just going out, listening to the music alone and dancing. Yes. And the effect is really powerful. You all know how you feel good days after a good night out. Because... The music is literally releasing different chemicals in your brain and resetting your nervous system. You know, we get so stressed out in our hectic days and our bodies get filled out with sort of stress hormones like cortisol. But music can calm us. It can calm that and turn down our stress response. And so for that reason, you can feel the positive impact for days afterwards. But what's really interesting is we've spoken about these experiences, dancing in clubs and even dancing on our own. We have these experiences with the high BPMs that impacts us one way, but a lot of people are starting to make functional music, you know, specifically to relax people, to calm them down, to tame anxiety, to help them sleep, which is having another kind of therapeutic effect. So these artists are specifically working with the tempos and the volumes and the BPMs to directly impact our physiology. Almost like, you know, science is now informing artists to have these specific toolkits for better shaping the desired impact on the listener. In terms of our, you know, our stress responses, um, when you listen to music that is ideally below 60 BPM, it actually calms you down physiologically, like your parasympathetic nervous system responds to that. Um, and when you listen to music above 70 BPM, like faster paced music, it like increases um, your, your alertness and kind of pumps you up. And so I think that scientists are really interested in understanding how like the tempo affects us. So a lot of these things with the beats and the tempo and the volume, a lot of people will, you know, are speaking about binaural beats and binaural beat stimulation. And there's a lot of studies out there and a lot of new apps and technology and the functional sound that's claiming to use binaural beats as a way to evoke a certain state or, or change our brain waves to stimulate our alpha waves to calm us down or our theta waves to help us sleep better. Now, this is when you're exposed to two different beats, and then the difference from those beats is what your brain registers. But it's a bit confusing, and the science is actually not super clear, is it? 
No, it's not at all. And now that's not to say that it doesn't happen. It's just that we haven't been able to scientifically prove definitively that it does. But there are interesting sort of positive applications of this. Um, It can you know, impact possibly divergent thinking the way we're creative. It can help sort of mood states, fatigue. So it's a really interesting area that needs to be explored more. So we've spoken quite a bit about what's happening inside of ourselves when we listen to a piece of music or experience sound, which is great, but it's not the full picture. What about how we experience it? And what if we're making it ourselves? Exactly. Now, that can be whether you're getting into the flow of producing your own music or just experiencing a live event with your friends. Or now what's happening more often is those at-home digital music experiences. And it's funny because music is such a ritualistic experience. And we spoke to James about what some of his rituals around music making are and what that means to him. You have quite a lot of rituals, actually. I've been thinking about this quite a lot because I think more and more I use physical tools, non non like analog, non non digital tools, um, to ground myself. I think while I'm I'm making work, I actually find it much more efficient to use analog tools and much more decisive. And I find the way I think is more productive to do stuff that is kind of indelible to make marks that can't be removed ultimately. So I also use a card system, which is very simple, really. A set of kind of white cards that are slightly bigger than um, business cards. And I use them to write two-line notations of pieces. So I have a kind of basic concept in how I work that uh, if I'm conceiving of a piece or thinking of an idea, I ought to be able to distill it into a sentence and perhaps a small drawing or two sentences. Um, and if I'm unable to do that, then I won't write it down and I'll have to think about it more until I can. And I find that a very useful way to distill notions. So what I think is really beautiful of the way James speaks about his own creative practice is the sense of embodiment as he's going through the process himself, speaking about these indelible experiences. There's something really unique and special when you make something physically or experience something in a physical setting that it can't be undone. It's almost like you have this creative impulse that starts within your body, within that creative center, and then almost comes out of your your hands and your fingertips to create something and it's that sense of embodiment that is something that we get in the physical setting when we experience music and while it's beautiful to have these connections with our own personal practices whether with music or a different art form fundamentally music is something that bonds us and unites us it's something that's shared in groups you know, it's something we can all relate to right now. I love dancing around my flat by myself, but I really miss being sweaty dancing around with friends. Oh my goodness, so do I. I just miss dancing with, with friends or, or those, you know, people who seem like friends at the end of the night and are actually just strangers. Get up and dance. I really miss going, I miss dancing. (laughs) 
Um, oh, so much. I think the thing that sticks out to me that I've been quite reflective about, and I think one of the things that um, concerns me is how much of an impact music has on our memory formations, like our our lives actually have like a soundtrack, if you think about it. And nostalgia memories are usually triggered by um, particular, you know, music from a time. Um, and I mean, music is a memory enhancer as well. So when you put all the things together, you think of like going to a, a, a specific club night regularly, um, listening to you know, the first time you hear tracks that really move you and that you really love and who you're with and the social cohesion that comes from, like all really enjoying this, like this new music, it actually impacts our memories and how we remember time. So uh, just as an example, I think about, um, I went to worldwide, um, festival 2011 and to this day, the music that I first heard there and the people that I with, that memory is so strong. It's actually affected the way that those memories have been laid down in my brain. And, um, so I feel like music can work as a memory enhancer and actually like define different periods in your life. And so thinking about this year and having actually not had music, I've listened to music, but not in the same way that there wasn't for me, like a track of the, the summer. Digital experiences unite us and is the only way we're connecting to each other at the moment. We really seek music to connect us and we have found ways of doing so without being in the same room. But what is actually the difference about being in the same room with someone or something somewhere and being at home with your own headphones, listening to music yourself? James's work focuses much on the real life experiences we have in our environments, actually drawing people closer to the relationship with their surroundings through this specific connection with sonic experiences. Listening to a sound on a pair of headphones in your flat is very different to listening to that same sound emanating from the canopy of a tree when you're standing in a forest. And what happens in that transference, in, in you being in that space and the relationship between the sound and the tree. And what does that mean for someone who's composing that sound? Um, like what power do you have and what happens if you then spatialize lots of sound around in that sort of way? If you, if you create scenarios where people have a heightened sense of listening and are, and are paying attention, which you can do in really interesting ways with spatial sound or just generally working in, in the environment, then people begin to pay attention to all sorts of things and how interesting it is. So even like when it rains, the world just sounds completely different. There's this wonderful book by Jacques Lucerian about the experience of being blind and what happens when it rains and how you hear this rain hitting every surface and suddenly the world becomes apparent because you know where everything is because the raindrops are hitting it in different ways and all the different surfaces. It's just really like, there are really important things that are happening all the time that if you spend the time to look at have and, and listen to, have an amazing impact on the way that you live your life. I, I did this piece once with um, Daniel Jones, who I work with as an artist here, a piece called Variable 4. And what that does is use a weather station to take real-time atmospheric conditions outdoors and creates a piece of music, it conducts a piece of music in the landscape. So there's eight speakers hidden around a bit of landscape in remote locations. You go to this place and you hear minute changes in the weather conditions rendered in sound. So if humidity goes up, 
it might get more dense if the wind changes you'll hear this music moving around and what's really incredible about that is how it just makes you aware of the sheer complexity of just what's happening in the air around you where you're standing like just that as a singular thing and how much it just shapes the entire world and is existing on this completely different time scale to how you're existing and there's something very healthy about that awareness of just being in the world and that all of your sort of concerns that you're coming with just sort of fade away in comparison to this beautiful semi-chaotic system of the atmosphere No one's ever going to write a piece of music better than the rain sounds. You know, like, it's the, the complexity and the beauty of that patterning is beyond human endeavour. Like, what, what causes that and how that happens is, is never going to be matched, and nor should it be. It's not a thing to kind of chase. But it's about, um, I think making work sort of in and inspired by nature and around it it's 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 more to do with it's sort of like John Cage it's about highlighting things within the natural world and playing with them and and just saying like isn't this an incredible thing to engage with and spend time and here's a way of looking at it you know it's like putting a frame around it and saying let's look at it let's listen to it Wow, I mean, that's it right there. Just put a frame around it. I love that comment about rain, something so simple we hear every day, but when you think about it, so beautiful and complex, like an orchestra by nature. Yeah, so sound doesn't just connect us to each other, but can connect us with the living world around us. And James captures this essence directly in the way that he makes his work and the foundation of his process. You know, nature is this primordial, original source of sound, and much of the work he does focuses on using spatialized sound to help people feel completely wrapped in an experience. But I'm going to stop you right there because we've been using this term spatialized sound. Now, what is it? It's a term that we're using more and more, and with the rise of things like virtual reality and immersive experiences, everyone really is moving towards adopting its uses. Right, so spatial sound is is a broad umbrella term, effectively, which means you're not necessarily hearing sound from one distinct sound source. Rather, sound is flowing all around you, including overhead and in three-dimensional space. When speaking about sonic experience, as our friend and founder of 4D Sound, Paul Oman, says, it allows us to listen to the space, not the speakers. Paul is also the founder of the Spatial Sound Institute and is exploring the impact of spatialized audio on our health and well-being. He speaks so eloquently, so we're just going to quote him directly. As a medium, spatial sound offers forms for expression interaction, and introspection that can provide new directions in how we sense, think, and feel our way through a digitally augmented, interconnected world. It heightens awareness of environment, deepens the sense of connection between mind and body, and more nuanced social interaction with those around us. It challenges us to listen to the world in a more engaging way, offering us a chance to become more sensitive human beings. 
So it's interesting linking all of these things together now and seeing how the technology that's coming to more mainstream uses is actually helping us hear with our whole bodies as opposed to our ears and really enhancing that felt experience we've been speaking so much of. Exactly that. It's fundamental to this way we experience sound. So it's providing us as listeners an entirely new way to listen. It's evolving our listening. And it's bringing us closer to the moment-to-moment experience of the sound ourselves in the space. It's actually enriching and transforming our perception of space. Now, James has been working with spatial sound across the majority of his projects. He shared with us a bit more about its origins. What's kind of happened in the last... 10, 15 years is a realisation that actually it is feasible to do spatial sound and to have systems for playing back spatial sound. So, you know, most clubs will have spatial sound system these days, at least high-end clubs anyway. There's actually, like, the earliest heritage to this stuff really properly, Caribbean sound system culture. And that's really, like, the beginnings of spatial sound. I mean, it's often kind of talked about as this sort of very sort of academic studio-based thing, but in reality, like, those incredible early dub sound systems were really where sound got thought of in layers and in space properly. You know, dub is the beginning of this. But what's happening now, I think, is that people are realising that a sense of spatiality, both, like, in, in terms of full sensory spatiality, the feeling of something being behind you, the feeling of wind on your back or hearing sound from all around you, all of that stuff. That's a very crucial aspect of embodiment in the world. Now, what's really interesting about James's work is it takes us into the environments themselves. But in the environments we're in daily, our lives, background noise has just gotten louder. You know, we're all aware of it. Cars, traffic, drilling, people. And we're realising with new research that all this sound around us is really stressing us out. You know, pleasing melodies can calm our nervous system, as we've spoken about. They can promote physical and mental well-being. But noise pollution and unintentional man-made soundscapes have the opposite effect. And we do live in a very noisy world. In fact, if you think about it, it's also the one sense we can't shut off. We're always listening and hearing 24 hours a day. So it's actually really important that... We think about sound in the same way we think about music. Yeah, I mean, I get so, so easily distracted from external sounds. I can't read anywhere other than somewhere completely silent. It's actually, like, baffling to me to seeing people at the pub or a cafe who are just reading a book there. And it's interesting to think about life in lockdown, actually, because... We've heard the birds and the animals more, but we've also heard more sirens and more roadworks outside of our homes and and actually more helicopters flying overhead. Actually, a huge thing in L.A. has been like the police helicopters circling, which are like, I mean, there's a there's a project that I just came across, which is about how police helicopters circling a city are environmental terrorism. And it's really interesting because if I actually think of one sound experience that was very, very, um, I probably won't forget, it's just how much of an impact those helicopters had on your, your ability to think and just, <laughs> it really affects your well-being. I mean, we've all felt it before, but with too many sounds coming in, it really does reduce our focus. And what's really interesting and, well, actually kind of scary at the same time is that there are so many sounds in our daily lives that also we don't realise are harmful to us. 
like fridges or hand dryers or alarms. All these frequencies come out of devices and they're really detrimental to our health. Down the road from me, there is a house where they have this thing called mosquito outside of it, which is to deter small mammals. And I think they're also used to deter teenagers as well. But I can just hear that as a really loud, high-pitched tone. And it makes me veer away from going around that house and it's super aggressive and it's basically a sonic weapon in effect. And that's a kind of horrible thing that I, I just don't think should be introduced into the environment. I mean, when humans listen, we're constantly filtering anyway. We don't hear everything that's coming into our ears. We're filtering all the time mentally just to work out what's what needs to be listened to at the moment. But um, I think what's happened for me, at least, is it's hard to know because I don't know what it would have been like if not. But um, I find it very difficult to filter out those frequencies. Um, so I tend to focus on them and get a bit lost in it. We all hear within this set audible range. Well, all of our ranges are, are slightly different from one another, but but there's loads of these high and low frequency sounds that just sit outside of these audible ranges. And while we can't perceptively hear them with our ears, we can sensorially experience them with our whole bodies. And so while it's kind of scary that there's things happening beyond our conscious awareness that's affecting us, what's actually really exciting about all this is that there are these new teams of researchers who are emerging, which are finally beginning to measure a lot of these previously intangible forces that we weren't able to prove. And we know that just because we can't prove or measure something right now doesn't mean it's not true. It just means we haven't gotten there yet. So while it's all kind of bleak that there's so much impacting our system that we don't consciously know of, it's pretty cool that we're finally getting to the point in science where we can hopefully begin to measure and then implement perhaps some new regulations for how these harmful pieces of tech are actually affecting us. So what's interesting here is that obviously this notion of noise pollution and things in our environment are a lot more harmful than sometimes we speak about. You know, if we speak about the language that both of our guests use, you know, Yawande saying environmental terrorism and James saying sonic weapons, like those are very, that's very strong language to be talking about. And so it is something that we need to be considerate of. And luckily there is some new technology that's coming out to help protect our ears. But as we said, it is really exciting, these new emergences that are coming from the realms of science and the fact that people are opening up to the fact of just because it's invisible doesn't mean it's not there. And so I think as a takeaway for what people can learn from today's show and the experiences in their own lives is, you know, trust your intuition about things and the fact that as we've said, a lot of the science that we're coming out with is backing up a lot of what we intuitively know already. And so listen to what guides you and listen to the sounds that make you feel a certain way, even if that is drone metal. Yes. And, you know, just remember that, you know, remember how powerful music is and all sound. And next time you have a music experience, enjoy it. You know, know that in fact, it is more powerful than we've ever realised. It doesn't matter, like you said, what you're listening to, but if you like it, then it really is sometimes all you need.